the United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith, faith, faith. politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a moment on sports, part one. If the 2022 Major League Baseball season begins on time, former Detroit Tigers second baseman Lou Whitaker will have his number one jersey retired on August 6th. Whitaker ranks in the top 10 in Tigers history with 244 home runs, 1,084 runs batted in, 1,386 runs scored, and 75.1 wins above replacement, which he registered between 1977 and 1995. He won the 1978 American League Rookie of the Year Award, three Gold Glove Awards, four Silver Slugger Awards, and a 1984 World Series championship ring, as well as being named a five-time AL All-Star. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And good afternoon. This is Pastor Rick. Joining me is my co-host, Ed Bondarenka. How are you doing, Ed? I'd like to say that never gets old, but uh, frankly, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing fine. And yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, Got a lot to cover today. You know, over the years, we, we, we get behind these mics. We talk about all this stuff that we're facing in the world and all this anger and this separation and this division. And we get so caught up about worrying about this, every now and then we just fail to stop and take a breath and notice the beauty that God has put around us. Whether it's beauty that he's allowed man to make through music and art or just nature itself, we forget that we every now and then need to take a rest. I mean, that is why the Lord created the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath for us so we can take a rest when we need it. And so today is going to be one of those rests. Are you saying the Sabbath is on a Saturday? Are you starting a religious war here? Well, I believe the Shabbat is on the Saturday, and I believe the day of worship for the Christians is on Sunday. Very diplomatic of you. So that, that's how I believe. So we're going to enjoy a Shabbat today. We're going to enjoy some time taking a look at some beauty. I, uh, I, I've been watching some movies over the last few weeks, and and... What I found was there were music pieces I forgot that even existed out there, and, and, and I re-fell in love with those pieces of music. So we're going to look at some of those today. Um, the first one, I want to just play the movie clip. It'll give you an idea. It comes from The King's Speech. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, The King's Speech, it's about King George VI. He's a stutter, and um, he has to give a speech in front of a microphone because, unlike me, he's terrified of microphones. And so... Uh, Let's break into that cut real quick, and I'll play just the cut of the speech. I'm a thistle. I'm a sieve of sifted thistles, a sieve of unsifted thistles. A sieve of sifted thistles and a sieve of unsifted thistles. Because I'm a thistle. Darling, make sure it's not switched off. Remember, the red light will blink four times, and I've asked him to turn it off. Because we don't want that evil eye staring at you all the way through. 
One minute, sir. So, so that's the lead-up. So now we're going to move past this for the next one minute. We're going to get through that one-minute speech and where the music starts, where he starts his speech. Um, because, well, if, if I don't do this, there's going to be words on there that's used in movies that cannot be used on air. <laughs> on radio. Right. So, so we'll get up here. If you can just find right where the music starts. Got it? Okay, let's start right there. In this grave, our perhaps the most fateful in our history, I send to every household of my her peoples. both at home and overseas. This message. Spoken with the same depth of feeling for each one of you as if I were able to cross your threshold and speak to you myself. For the second time in the lives of most of us, we are at, at war. Over and over, Again, we have tried to find a peaceful way out of the differences between ourselves and those who are now our enemies. But it has been in vain. We have been forced into a conflict. For we are called to meet the challenge of a principle which, if it were to prevail, would be fatal to any civilized order in the world. Such a principle a stripped of all disguise is surely the mere primitive doctrine that might is right. For the sake of all that we ourselves hold dear, it is 
unthinkable that we should refuse to meet the challenge. It is to this I purpose that I now call my people at home and my peoples across the seas who will make... And as he gives this speech, this is the... the Part, the allegretto part of the symphony, where, where it starts out with this almost funeralistic point of view uh, of the music, and, and you feel the angst of the music fitting to the king who stutters and who is terrified of making himself a mockery in front of his people. And it starts out that way, and as he goes through and he gets more and more comfortable within giving that speech, you get to the allegretto, the, the upper part of the tempo. And so in this case, I, I really believe that the the creators, the movie creators, did a fantastic job picking this music out because it set the tone of that whole speech. They could not have picked a better piece of music. We'll be talking more about that um, when our guest comes in at the uh, bottom of the hour at Hoffman, but I just wanted you to hear that there's another movie where that same one was used in a different way. So let's take a look and listen to a part of Mr. Holland's opus. I notice Cole uses gestures to help himself be understood. Let me caution you. Don't use them back. Gestures won't help him find his place in a hearing world. When he's older, there are schools that will help him and you to find his voice. He couldn't hear. Of all people. Not a thing. And because Beethoven couldn't hear, the thought of him conducting, or let alone composing, was pathetic to most people. And so to answer them, he composed and conducted the Seventh Symphony. Just try to imagine Beethoven standing on that podium, holding his baton, his hands waving gracefully through the air and the orchestra in his mind is playing perfectly and the orchestra in front of him trying desperately just to keep up there is a story In order to write his music, Beethoven literally sawed the legs off his piano so that he could lay the body flat on the ground. And then he would lay down on the ground next to the piano with his ear pressed to the floor. And he would pound the keys with his fingers in order to hear his music through the vibrations of the floor. Mr. Holland? Mr. Holland? If he couldn't hear, how would he even know what the notes were? Like, if he never heard a C, how do you know that's what he wanted playing?
Beethoven wasn't born dead. Now, the beautiful part point here is, again, they're using this music to show a struggle because Mr. Holland just found out his son was born deaf. His son would never be able to hear what that C sound like. So that question the student asked there at the end was so profound to Mr. Holland is at least Beethoven had a chance to understand what a C sounded like. And he could listen down to the floorboard and, and, and kind of use the floorboard as the sounding board. But his struggle here is is that of his son was born deaf and then it goes into right into another struggle as you heard at the end there it sounded like helicopters as they're going into a scene where one of their past students had had died in the vietnam war and they were getting ready to go to his funeral as um as the music plays on so so we see it both both using a struggle and the allegretto in this case is used perfectly of of, of the seventh symphony um when Beethoven came out with this, he was deaf when he came through. And when, when it played, the description of Mr. Holland's opus is perfect on how it happened. What he doesn't mention in the movie, but you should know, is when this premiered, half the critics loved it. The other critics have thought, Beethoven is nuts, especially because of this particular part of the movement. They're calling him nuts because you go into that struggle with the allegretto and then the tempo picks up, but then it dies back down again. And it was just against the contrary of what you'd normally use that piece for. And so they were calling him nuts. So I re-fell in love with this piece of music. The Seventh Symphony, Second Movement. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Beethoven's version of this.
then he goes right back in after that upbeat tempo. He goes right back into that funeral-esque type music at the end, that pounding, that pounding music. Absolutely beautiful piece. Um, I know a lot of you aren't, aren't into, and I hope you, how do I say, I hope you find a joy in this kind of music because it's beautiful. If we don't take time to search out the beautiful things in life, why are we worrying about the ugly things in life, right? So what was your opinion of that piece of music, Ed? Wonderful background music for movie scenes <laughs> or for reading a book or for doing something else because I kind of, I'm kind of reminded of that with Paco Bell. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like re a repetitive play on notes, almost like scales. I used to practice when I was actually practicing piano. I, I'm not trying to denigrate the music. It's beautiful. What I thought as you were playing the King's Speech was that it was perfect it, to tempo him, to calm him. I'm, I'm not sure that they actually used it. They did not. Yeah. That's the thing. They but it, used would, it. it works because it would have given him a sense of calm, a sense of timing. To I heard, I heard on uh, All Creatures Great and Small a couple weeks ago on Mass Peace Theater, they, it was Christmas time, and they were playing the King's Christmas speech and because that's something they do, they did every every Christmas. Mm -hmm. They were now you listen to the Queen's speech. It's, everybody would stop to listen to it, and I mean, like that's a lot of pressure. We have like nineteen listeners. Who cares if we stutter or hammer haw, right? But uh, um, uh, uh, what was I going to say? You get what I'm where I'm right. going with this, right? But he's the king, and the whole world, as they showed in that movie, all the scenes. That's why the the sound changed. You know, people were listening in army tents. They were listening in hotels. They were listening on the street, everywhere, and the pressure to to get it right. And this gave him that timing, that calmness, that soothingness. Understand that twenty five percent of the world at that time was under British rule. 25% of the Sun world. never sleeps. Right. Like my, like my guest, William J. Federer, said just an hour ago, you know, Britain ruled the world, the globalists. They did. And yeah. at this point, 25% of the, of, of the world is listening to him give this speech, and he's a stutterer. And he is now mm -hmm. saying, you've got, to be, you've got to give this speech. And, and folks, you've got to see the movie, because the speech therapist uh, is remarkable in how he handles the, mm -hmm. the king. I mean, I, I'm not going to... Too many spoiler alerts out there for those who haven't seen it. Just see the movie. Same with Mr. Holland's Opus. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant use of the music. Again, it's used in a in a point of tension, but in a different way of tension. And he uses the history of the piece to create the tension. And what he's feeling sorrowful over is that his son was just uh, pronounced that. So yeah. Well, you know, you were talking about culture on a Saturday afternoon. I remember in my youth, I used to listen to WJR. And I would listen to, I think in the mornings or early afternoon, would be Carl Haas and his Adventures in Good Music. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, they'd play the opera. Well, I wasn't really an opera fan, but it would play in the background while I'm you know, pursuing my hobbies. And uh, I'll tell you a story. I got overseas, and I was never homesick the whole time I was stationed overseas until I was in a, a communication center in Madrid, and they were playing Armed Forces Radio, and I didn't know... I get choked up right now. They started playing the opening theme to Adventures in Good Music, and it was Carl Haas. Uh -huh. I almost cried. I got so homesick. 
Music is powerful. Uh, this is why we sing in church. I mean, well, the Bible tells us to sing hymns and everything else. Mm-hmm. Music is extremely powerful. And when it's used properly in our movies, um, it, it's awesome. And I, th- I, the reason I played that piece is because how well it's used in those two movies. And uh, we've got an, an, after the break, we'll have Ed, Ed Hoffman on with us uh, describing some of these breaks. Um, we got a caller. Do I have time to take this caller? No? All right, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Joe. We'll, 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 we'll get you after the break. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he was going to try to get me to play something other than classical music. I, I can guarantee you that's what he's going to try to change the show. Okay. We'll be back after these messages. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with another moment on sports. The Detroit Red Wings defeated the Philadelphia Flyers 6-3 this past Wednesday. Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond scored 3 minutes and 19 seconds apart in the first period. Pew Suter and Robbie Fabry lit the lamp in the first 11 minutes of the middle frame and Giovanni Smith and Vladislav Nemesnikov each tallied a goal in the third period. Ten different Red Wings players registered at least one assist, except for sensational rookie Moritz Sider, who recorded a pair of helpers. Defensively, Sider, Mark Stahl, and Gustav Lindstrom combined for a plus-six, plus-minus rating, while Alex Nedeljkovic, amassed 21 saves between the pipes to aid in Detroit's 21st win of the season. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. You know, this today's show reminds me back when my dear friend Pastor Max would come on with us every now and then, and... Uh, when we weren't talking the Bible, he would get really excited if he found out he was going to be on a show talking about classical music. And, and today's show is a little bit of a tribute towards towards my dear friend uh, Max, who's with the Lord right now. Um, he would have he would have had great joy, especially knowing his demeanor on what we just did with Beethoven's Seventh. Yes, it's a very starts out very funeral esque. That was really the the attitude of Max. <laughs> yeah, um, you never saw him smile unless uh, he was looking away. But uh, before I get to our guest, Ed Hoffman, we have a caller who better be very nice, otherwise I'll never take his calls again. Hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm doing good, but first, uh, a update to Derek's moment on sports update. The Red Wings just defeated Philadelphia in back-to-back at LCA 4-2 today, so... That's good, and with Brian Marchand on a six-day suspension, hopefully the Bruins will be on a losing streak, and the Wings might get back into the playoffs. And welcome to sports talk. (laughs) Yeah, but seriously, regarding the music, I agree with you both. Uh, I agree with you, Rick, that people need to see 
the King's Speech. It was a great film, and didn't it win a few awards? I uh, certainly did. I don't know if it won an Academy Award or whatever, and I think Colin Firth may have even won for Best Actor. Yes, he did. In that. And then Holland's Opus is great. I'm not a big uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss fan, other than, uh, you know, the uh, the... Third Encounters kind, whatever movie that was. <laughs> American Graffiti. Holland's Opus was also very good, but I do agree with that, too. I, I mean, I like all kinds of music, but this is certainly not something I'd put on while in the car driving because I don't want to fall asleep <laughs> behind the wheel. But it is good music to listen to on occasion at home to rest and relax to, and it is indeed perfect for background movie music. All right. Thank you, Joe, for calling. And All right. Love you, brothers. Take love you. care. God bless. And, Never to be heard from again. And Mozart would accuse him of having ears of a mule. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joining us is our host. Uh, or host. I'm the host, Guess. darn it. Yeah, I think so. Almost. Uh, who's a host on his own right <laughs> with his own show, Good speaking catch. of art, Ed, Ed Hoffman. How you doing, Ed? Uh, Rick, it's great to be here. Ed, great to see you again. Hello, everybody. Hey, Hello, remember. everybody. Two Eds are better than one. That's absolutely true. Hey, is, is it too late in the year to be able to say uh, Happy New Year to your listeners and everything? So I, I I'll think, never uh, speak I to you again Chinese for bringing it out so Chinese long. Chinese New Year, Year of the Tigers. So that, there we go. There go. Well, happy right. New Year, everybody. I'm delighted to be back. So we uh, last last period, we covered a, a clip from the King's yeah. Speech where he mm-hmm. gave that, that difficult speech that he had to give. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and, yes. and, and that scene of that movie, he actually, I've listened to the King's speech. I've heard, listened to that speech and the actual King's speech, and they're cadenced perfectly. Yes. A few small differences, but that means he yes. had to rehearse that right with the King over and over and over again on the recording that's out there. But uh, I think the music, and that's what I'm really talking about here, I think the, really, the music really punches home the, the difficulty that he was having giving that speech. Oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, Oh, I was just thinking of the pressure of millions of people watching you while you talk, and it doesn't seem to bother Bo Jiden at all, does it? <laughs> <laughs> so. Sorry, I'm just back, back really to keeping things light and, and <laughs> positive and not worrying about the future. So uh, we did Beethoven's 7th. Um, yeah. I know you've seen. I know you've seen the King's Speech, and uh, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with uh, Mr. Holland's Opus? I I am. It it it's been a while since I've seen it, but it was it was beautiful. It was it, and again in, it, the the music and highlighting the music of composers trying to put it in a contemporary setting, which you know I, probably with your listeners too. I remember when Amadeus came out, and mm-hmm. I remember the reverberations that that film. Produced. I remember people running to the mall. I mean, people who were middle aged then running to the mall to buy a Mozart, Mozart recording 25th. for the very first time. Yep. That caused a sensation of an interest in classical music. The whole period, not just Mozart, the whole period on the part of millions of people. Just gives you an idea how something approached the right way in film that is inclusive in some way for us can be a springboard for just a whole new door opening, you know, in, in mm-hmm. your life. I actually went out when I first saw Mr. Holland's opus. And same thing with, with uh, yeah. When he described the music and everything else. Now, I was already listening to classical music, but I did not have Beethoven's Seventh in my collection. 
I ran down to Liberty Street, Ann Arbor, and picked up the Seventh Symphony right after hearing that. And um, and my uh, wife worked there when you did that. It's interesting. Huh. Yeah. So how did you know she worked there? Did she recognize me? No, no, no. School Kids Records, right? Yeah. Yep, she worked there. She worked okay. in the back doing the counting, but she had to come up front and run uh, credit cards once in a while. Yeah. So the next movie uh, piece of music we're going to be talking about um, has been used in a lot of movies. It was used in The Greatest Story Ever Told. Believe it or not, it was uncredited in The Greatest Story Ever Told. It was used in the intermission back when they made movies really long and they put, inter- put the word intermission up <laughs> on the screen. I love that. And, yeah. um, and that was ben actually Hurt. part, of the, part yeah. of the movie. And then they yeah. would have music in, in, in between. And then they play the symphony. And they took this beautiful adagio that's made for strings and they, they orchestrated it for guitar. And they used it on on the greatest story ever told, but it was also used in this other great movie that a lot of people saw. If you like war movies, I'm sure you saw it uh, during a very important part scene in the movie Platoon, and it's Abenoni's Adagio. If, if can we hear that? So you can almost hear the helicopters and seeing him raise his arms up and, and, and the angst as they leave him behind. And uh, this is a remarkable piece of music. I recommend people like Joe get it and listen to it at home. And while, Joe, listen to it while you're driving. Um, it's a beautiful piece of music. And, and the piece itself is the only piece of, uh, that they found that was actually found in a burnt-out monastery. Um, and the only surviving piece of this of this symphony was the the adagio uh, that we have here. Uh, they, there's been other people who tried to build a symphony around it, but this is what we have from uh, Thomas Al- Albanoni. Any comments, Ed? No, I think it's it's a perfect piece of music that you chose, and and I think it illustrates what you're talking about with you know the union of film and music and how they can how they can work together. A superior film with superior music produces something else. If you have an inferior film with superior music, you basically just get, I don't know, it's a copycat type of approach. I mean, it has to be, it has to be a film with real gravitas, and mm-hmm. Platoon has it. One that I thought of as I was listening to that uh, is the fabulous scene in Kenneth Branagh's Henry V when he's giving the St. Crispin mm-hmm. speech. Mm-hmm. And just the journey that that speech takes you on as he moves physically up onto the cart and around, we happy few. And you can see just the enthusiasm, you can feel it on the part of his men who are about to to fight 
outnumbered, vastly outnumbered, and win the Battle of Agincourt in 1415, and basically sort of win France under, you know, mm -hmm. the, the crown of England for a brief time, uh, as it turns out. But you follow the cadence of the speech and the music going with it is so wonderful. I'll tell you, I, I'll recommend anybody here who's going through a difficult period or just needs to find whatever it is, that inner wellspring to get through a challenge, mm -hmm. watch that scene and watch it more than once. I'll tell you, it is fantastic. And the again, movie again? the union of film Henry and v. music uh, in it. Henry V. Kenneth Branagh's Henry V from 1989, I believe. That's how See, I watched more movies in helicopters, I've got Flight of the Valkyrie in my head. Oh, oh, yeah. The, the smell of napalm in the right. morning. Apocalypse that Now, too. yeah. Yeah. I was one day, and I... Probably a story I shouldn't tell, but I'm going to tell anyway, since you brought up uh, Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner. Uh, love the piece, by the way. Um, now, unfortunately, people don't like playing it, and they cancel him. He was too. a Nazi. <laughs> he was before the Nazis. You can't say he was a Nazi. He was before the Nazis, but he, he still was, was. He had some political issues. But on that, on the Ride of the Valkyries, one day, uh, uh, I was at Max's house, and he was playing this this soft piece by Paganini, which will get us into the next part here. He's playing this soft piece by Paganini. He says, that's love making music. What do you think? I says, no. Ride of the Valkyries is love making music. And he looked at my wife and says, what do you think about that? <laughs> so, oh, um, you're in trouble. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so she says, I don't care what he plays as long as he doesn't wake me up. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, Paganini has done some beautiful music and the, that's going to be the next piece we give a short. And I'll tell you, men, if you've never taken your wife, or gentlemen, if you've never taken your movie or your your girlfriend to see this movie, do so. Um, it's a wonderful movie to take your wife or girlfriend to. It's called Somewhere in Time. And they use a piece called uh, Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, written by um, Rachmaninoff. Beautiful piece. Absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the only memorable movie with Superman in it that Superman wasn't, wasn't, super, the, super, wasn't Superman. It was, right. What was his real name? I can't remember now. Christopher Reeves. Thank you. All right, let's hear that piece. all caught up into the whole piece but imagine this here's this time traveler he, he's he's found the woman of of his life his soulmate and and they're sitting on the living room floor of a, or in their suite and um he reaches in his pocket and he brings out uh, a penny 
uh, of his wow. real time, and it draws him back to the time he's from. And, and at that moment, she starts crying his name out, Richard, as, as this goes on. And I love that because after that movie, women all over the world were crying out my name <laughs> <laughs> because of that scene. But no, that, that, that whole music gets the whole concept of the time travel involved with it when you hear it because mm -hmm. um, it, it takes you back to the time of Rachmaninoff who was contemporary to the time when he goes back in time mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah when you think about it we live in such a privileged time ourselves somewhere in time where we can actually listen to this music on demand we can we can just you know, call it up on Spotify or go through our record collection or whatever. People tune into this show and they, they're exposed. There's music all around us all the time. And yet, a hundred years ago, you had to be well off enough to go to a concert, a presentation. Uh, you might travel quite a ways to see an ensemble play something mm -hmm. and you took what you could get. You know, yeah. it's, it's really a different world today. What's really amazing about this piece, uh, Rhapsody on the Theme of Paganini, uh, Rachmaninoff was, uh, some, some people liked him, but he was not very popular. A lot of his music, people hated. It was kind of like Beethoven, where I said some of his critics were saying, Beethoven's mad. They, they, if you either love Beethoven or you hated him. Um, most people who knew <laughs> him hated him. But uh, um, Remember that story. Remember the story about um, uh, Beethoven and Goethe are walking in a park. Somewhere in, mm -hmm. in in one of the you know princely you know uh, states of Germany before it came together as a country, and I guess an aristocrat is coming by with his entourage, and Goethe steps aside and bows to him and things like that. And Beethoven looks at him after they've gone past and said, "Why do you prostrate yourself like that mm -hmm. to people like that?" You know, there's that that, that feeling of the revolutionary, oh, even man, after on a, my own heart on a gravel path in a garden, beautifully manicured. He's coming with all his, you know, the beautiful procession and people around it, and, and then he gets out of the way. He said, why did you do that? It just, yeah. I think that explains a lot about, or illuminates a lot about Beethoven. Yeah, actually, and I'm glad you told that story, and you told it beautifully, because anytime uh, my friend Max and I would talk, he would always tell that story. Why do you prostate yourself before people like that? Um, and, and uh, yeah. There, there's a lot about the attitude of Beethoven today I love, but he was not really liked back then, you know? Uh, he had other people that, yeah. if, if, if they liked his music, and if you were a, co a composer or something else and you liked him, uh, then you could call him friend, but even then it was hard to tolerate him <laughs> in a lot of ways. It, it, it is hard, I think, and I, you know, it, it's funny, this idea you, you're saying, Ed, about how privileged we are now to be able to, take advantage of these resources but the idea of putting our our minds back to the early 19th century and to think this was contemporary music mm -hmm. and you either love it you know you have to be open to the contemporary sound anyway first of all you're there and the beautiful maybe you're there just because it's the social thing to do or whatever but you listen to that music either love it or you hate it but it's new what a feeling that would be to see the mona lisa again for the first time now, that's a movie theme right there. If we could somehow, you want to go back in time mm -hmm. as adults, middle-aged or older, whatever it is we are, and to be able to see these things that enraptured us for the first time again, but to have a little bit more knowledge about what it might mean. 
I think there's there's a key there about about appreciation. There, I wish I could listen to Beethoven again for the very, very Rick, first time. Rick, that reminds me of you wanting to actually meet yourself again for the first time, so that just you could, just so I can know the joy of meeting me for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> but but to get to get to the uh, uh, point you're making in, in the movie that I just referenced, somewhere in time, it starts out where he falls in love with this picture of this woman. Yeah. Uh, on the wall. Beautiful Grand Hotel. Yeah, yeah. at the Grand Hotel. Yeah. And uh, he sees this picture, and he falls in love with this woman in this picture. And he starts going back, seeing professors and everything else on, on time travel. On Is it possible? I mean, he becomes so entranced on meeting this woman yes. uh, that's up in a museum, so to speak, and, and sees it, and he wants to be back in time to, to meet this woman for the first time when she was taking this picture. And um, he finally, he finally, through a lot of struggle and stuff, gets back in time and meets her. And, and we kind of get that experience when we get, you and I were talking at earlier about going to museums and, and just really talking about some of the art and stuff there. Really, it's when you go there, you get to travel back in time, whether it's a piece of music that they put in a, mute, in a movie or you listen to it raw, or a painting. You, you talk a lot about the art on your show. You get to look at it for the first time and it's exciting. And then I brought up pictures of stuff that I just fell in love with in the museum, you know. And, and as I'm going through it, it's like I'm looking at him again for the yes. first time. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm reminded of traveling Italy with some friends of mine and my best friend and his wife and her sister. And we're going through all these museums. And Don and I are like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they've read the books. They've prepared. They've read novels about these artists. They know everything. And later, you know, later at dinner, they're explaining to us, why don't you tell us why we're actually looking at it? You know, I have no idea what I looked at, what I saw. I have no appreciation whatsoever for having toured some of the better museums in, in Italy. And darn well, so, like you're saying, you know, when you when you know the story behind it, it, it actually means something. Well, I I think there's a value though to have seen something peripherally, you know, just very very in the way that we travel today. We don't have a lot of time. We I, I think there was a there was a study done in in the United States, the average amount of time that an American visitor to a major museum will spend in front of any individual work of art, and I think it came down to about twelve seconds, on average. It's below, well below 30 seconds. And, you know, now, I don't think that, the, that that's a throwaway experience. I, I think that, you know, like anything else, anyone else you're going to devote time to getting to know, someone you like who's a friend, they didn't become your best friend the first time you met them, right? Unless you're, like, totally out Except of it. Except for my wife. It's in a bar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you get to know them over a period of time. You get to know a work of art or a piece of music over a period of time. So that was your first, say, layering of the lacquer on the patina, right, mm -hmm. of that experience. You remember enough, probably say, you'll see something or you'll think of something. You know what, I'm going to go back and think about that work of art in that museum. Let me know a little bit more about, it, it's kind of like looking up one word in a dictionary, all of a sudden you've looked up 20, like in the old days, That's, right? Yes. Or the encyclopedias, and now on the internet, we hope. One thing leads to the other. So that was just an early thing. You'll go on, and it will be a part of your experience. I've always mm -hmm. said... So I'm trying to make you feel better. Yeah. Thank I, you. <laughs> By the way, before we go on, I'd just like to say that everything I know about classical music, I learned in kindergarten. 
watching Warner Brothers movies and cartoons. Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Kill the rabbit. I got it. (laughs) Uh, I always look at, on your point, I've I've always said that um, art is a dialogue. It's not Mm -hmm. meant as as a monologue. It is not only... Uh, what it really does say to you, but what what is it bringing out of you towards it? How how does that art influence you? And to your your point, where yeah, a pass by look at art, um, I get that. But like those pictures that I fell in love with at the U of M Museum, mm-hmm. I took pictures of them, and now I'm able to analyze it a little bit more, break it down, research the art, find out where the artist was at on this. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a really strong believer, just as I'm reading scripture, as what was happening at that time when this was being written. How, how mm-hmm. did the history of that go around into what was being written there? You get that knowledge of, of that painting or that song mm-hmm. and what was going on when the artist created it. Yes. And it yes. adds so much more to it. My mom had this Picasso print in our living room, and she'd tell guests, there's a story behind this painting. And finally, I broke down, and I pulled the painting away from the wall, and there was nothing back there. I was so disappointed. And I'm trying to remember why I asked you on today's show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, I think we need to spend more time in today's world enjoying the beauties out there. There's a lot of art out there. Spend some time finding things to enjoy, not just things to hate. Folks, it's been a blessing being with you today. I will see you next week as we get back to current events. And have a blessed day. See you later. been listening to a moment of clarity on wham talk 1600 with your host pastor richard Dietering. be sure to tune in again next week right here on wham radio 